Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. Well, good morning and welcome to In Awe by Bruce. Today on the phone, we have Todd Hampson. He is an author, illustrator, and animation producer who produces comically illustrated books, media, and other resources to help people consider the claims of Bible prophecy so they can face today with a sense of joy, courage, clarity, and purpose. His artistic skills, I think, are perfect for simplifying a tough subject, which he does in his books and his videos. Todd married with three children. His hobby is kickboxing. We may get to that later. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, he has a great love for missionary work, having gone multiple times to Haiti and the Dominican Republic, as well as Brazil. And on his website, he finishes up kind of his story about himself by saying, when you have the cure to everything, you tend to want to share it. Well, amen to that. And Todd, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Bruce. I really appreciate you having me on. So before I dive into maybe some of the things you're doing and the name of your company and, and how your different books and videos could be helpful to the people listening, just want to ask you, what is it that uh, about your relationship with Jesus that inspires you to do what you're doing? That's a great question. You know, I, I come from a completely unchurched background mm -hmm. and um, was introduced to the gospel at, at the age of 13 and received Christ. And, and I had a lot of barriers to entry, so to speak, a lot of worldview issues and that kind of thing. And I thought the, the Bible was a book of fairy tales and that kind of thing. It was pointed out to me that the Bible is full of fulfilled Bible prophecy. And when I started looking at and trying to debunk it in my 13 year old mind, I just couldn't shake <laughs> it. And that, that led to my salvation. And then it led to a love for God's word. And I tell you what, I've been studying God's word since I was 13. I'll, I'll wow. be 50 next year. And I'm more in awe today than I was when I first became a believer in God's word, how it fits together, the hidden gems that are in there. Uh, the fact that you can, you know, look at the same passage 20 years in a row and suddenly you see something completely new that you never saw before. It's just mind blowing. You and I seem to have some similar timings and, and things that led us to the Lord and, and all that. Uh, you know, I do. I find all the time I reread stuff I've looked at before and I'm stunned. It's what's there. And then I'll read another author and get their insights and go, this is unbelievable <laughs> how deep. And if you want to get complex, you can go real deep and see how God has integrated so much of this. Mm -hmm. over time. Do you ever hit a point though, when maybe you feel like you're kind of fumbling and failing? And when you do, is there something particularly that you look at that draws you back up to being an awe God? For me, it's God's word, you know, and I, I was talking to my son about this uh, the other day in that often we, and, and by we, I mean me, I still do this. If I'm facing an issue or a struggle or, or life pressures, a lot of times I try to do everything in my own strength and figure out ways to fix it or make it better. Then finally, I'm like, oh, let me take this to the Lord. <laughs> so <laughs> over the years, I've learned to do that a little bit sooner than I used to. But it's something that I still got to re be reminded of that I need to go to him first. Um, and when I do, so to answer your question, the, the, the short version is 
when I have a struggle and I give it to the Lord in prayer, mm-hmm. and then I ask him to show me what next step to take every single time he always does so. And he'll usually right after that or around the same time or the same day, I'll bump into some scripture or a friend will mention some a scripture or something like that that plays in directly to whatever the issue at hand is. Mm. Um, and another thing I've learned to do, and it's important that guys, especially guys, I, I think women are great at forming friendships. Guys, especially at our age, I think we need to be very intentional about having a few close guy friends. I have, I'm fortunate to have, you know, four or five close uh, guy friends that I can just text them. Hey, pray for me today. I'm struggling, man. He, you know, he, I mm. need, I need a breakthrough here. I need God to show up. And um, I swear every single time God does his thing and, and he comes through in unexpected ways. It's, it's great to have the body around you. You know, there's yeah. you know, the lone Christian thing doesn't work too well. No, nah, we weren't meant to live like that, man. We, we definitely were built for a community and relationship. <laughs> so <laughs> let's kind of dive into some of the things that you're into. Do you want to give people an overview? And then I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Yeah, absolutely. I um Like I mentioned before, from my salvation, I've always had an appreciation for Bible prophecy. And then because of that, I've always studied eschatology and the study of the end times. And um, I read Left Behind series in the 90s that kind of impacted me in a good way. But lately, like, you know, 2012-ish, I started just looking around at the world and things were going crazy. And of course, 2020, they're 10 times crazier. (laughs) And I just started saying, man, this is really lining up with what scripture says. And I had kind of a I'd call it a soft conviction about the end times, the basic order of events, and also that that we could be the generation that could see the Lord's return. But I never uh, really dove in in depth for myself to really form my own convictions. So I did that. I, I just went in and I said, okay, here, here's where I'm leaning. I'm a pre-trib guy. I believe we're raptured out of here before the tribulation occurs. But I didn't want to just own that because other people that I respected had that view. I wanted to study every scripture that had to do with that and let the data lead me to a conclusion. And, and it did. I mean, of course, there are some things that are debatable and, and scripture's not 100% clear on. And Bible prophecy spread out all over the Bible. So it is kind of like fitting a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. But for the big, major, broad strokes of Bible prophecy, we can know, I believe, uh, with confidence what the end time events are like and how we're supposed to live now as we await those times. So Bible prophecy, eschatology, and I've always loved apologetics. Again, coming from that unchurched background, I, I, I needed reasons to believe. I needed some evidence to show me that the Bible was from God and that God is real and that kind of thing. So I've always had a love and appreciation for apologetics. And also, as you mentioned, missions and discipleship. Those grew more out of my personal discipleship as a believer, yeah. going on mission trips and working in different churches. I, I just really formed a love. I love to see people grow in their faith. There's there's nothing like short-term missions to really impact you in a major way. I, I always joke with people and I say, I think I think you get about five years worth of discipleship out of one short-term mission trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to diverge too much, but give us quick insight into what you've seen like in, you know, Haiti and Dominican Republic. Yeah. So uh, Dominican, both of them are, they're, they're two parts of the same island. It used to be called Hispaniola. The DR is really poor and Hispanic speaking. You know, you can do a lot of ministry there, but Haiti is like poor times 10. I mean, it's what I went to the DR first. I went three trips there and I thought I saw poverty there until I went to Haiti and it's a whole nother level. And it's a whole nother level of darkness because for hundreds of years they've had Mm -hmm. 
influences of voodoo and occultism and, and just corruption in the government. I mean, it's, I've never seen a country so broken, but our church partnered with a, a missionary down there who's there for the long haul investing mm-hmm. in this one village and they have an orphanage and that kind of thing. So that was really eye opening. And I tell you, the thing that sticks out to me most other than just seeing the stuff that you see on the mission field is the fellowship of believers. I mean, even though you can't speak the language, I've come in contact with people of Haiti and Brazil and the DR, and you're like brothers. I mean, you you, mm-hmm. you cry when you leave because you grow so close while you're there. Um, so that that brotherhood of believers around the world really shines through when you go on uh, mission trips. And also, it really challenged me as an American to uh, count my blessings because they literally have nothing, no hope, no future from our perspective. But some of the people down there, and I mean, there's a lot of a lot of sadness and a lot of depressed people, but there are also a lot of believers that I met. Uh, matter of fact, one was like an 80 year old blind man who had more joy than anybody I've ever seen. That just floors you, you know. My my older son, he went on with me on several of the trips, and when he was in middle school and early high school, and I remember the first one we went to when we came home, he opened up our just our pantry and he started crying. He's like dad, I can't even eat this food. We got more food here than those people see in a month, you know? So it's, it, it, it helps you count your blessings for sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause I, yeah, it gives a great perspective on being grateful as well as motivated to help others and, and do what we can. So thank you for all that you do down there. Yeah. Kind of heading back to the prophecy and end times things, you kind of felt this urge to pull it together and, and kind of help people with this or. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to clarify it for myself, but also as I did that, I noticed that just being real, most Christians I knew and most of the church that I see are are not, nobody's awake to the fact that we're in the end times. Of course, Mm -hmm. we we don't set dates. We don't know the day or the hour. Scripture is clear about that, but the Bible does give us several signs and conditions and, and things like that, that we can see as Hebrews 10, 25 says, we can see the day approaching. And that's the check in my spirit that led me to the study was that, okay, if we're nearing the end times, then we need to be right with the Lord. We need to be looking for him. We need to be, you know, we could leverage this as an evangelism tool because people need to know the Lord now. But I noticed a lot of people were not seeing the same things I was. Mm. And I discovered different reasons for that. Some of it is just people were not familiar with their Bibles. You know, they pick it up once a week and uh, that's about it. (laughs) So they've never done any in-depth study. Some of it is the different views and the confusion and the infighting. So that turns them off and they think, oh, well, I can't figure it out. So they just kind of throw their hands up. And some of it, I think, is a lot of uh, leaders are not talking about it, are kind of shy away from it for those same reasons. They don't want to offend people or get 1,800 emails from different points of view about why they were wrong for preaching pre-trib or whatever it is. So there's a lot of different views. But what I wanted to do was kind of take people on the journey that I went through and systematically show how we can know the signs that we can understand Bible prophecy. It's not too complex to figure out. And by the way, here's a bunch of cool pictures that will help you visually because I'm a visual learner and and I'm learning that a lot of other people are too. And another key thing with the art is I wanted to infuse some humor in it because it is a heavy topic. It's people think of the scary stuff mostly. So I, I thought through, well, how can I bring some lightheartedness to this? And honestly, I feel like everything I've done creatively in my career, God used in this book, my my animation background, my story development, character design, and Mm -hmm. my writing skills. I mean, we've written, you know, I used to write write 
animation scripts and that kind of thing. So he really brought all of that together to be able to present it in a way that, that people can understand that takes the fear factor out of it and brings a little humor to it, pokes fun at us as Christians, even, you know, I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of jokes like that in there and God, honestly, every step of the way, and this is important for anybody that's thinking they're called to something. I didn't want to do it. I was like, God, are you sure? <laughs> you know? And I literally prayed cause it was a burden. I mean, I had to do it, but I, I wanted to make sure it was of God. So I, I literally prayed whatever next step I took, I was like, all right, God, if this is not of you, please shut this book idea down. Like, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. But he kept opening door after door after door. And now I'm three books into the nonprofits guide series and got a bunch of other books in the works. And I mean, literally with Jeff and I partnering through a prophecy pros, there's been a whole bunch of new, bigger ministry doors that have opened. So God just he just keeps opening them up and I just keep walking in and every one of them, I'm like, all right, I don't know how I'm going to do this Lord, but he makes us find a way. So it's a oh, That's great. Let me start off from here with uh, playing devil's advocate. Yeah. To throw some questions at you because you know, you and I were talking before we got on, I, I grew up in the era where Hal Lindsey's book, late great planet earth came out. He spoke at my high school back in the early seventies, which tells you how ancient I am. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, let me hit you with some of the things that that I know people ask me when I'm yeah. working and teaching on this subject and that I I hear all the time. Todd, talking about all this and you spend all this time in the end times, but I've been hearing the Lord's coming for a long time. Mm-hmm. Hasn't happened. People put out dates. Those dates never happen. <laughs> I, I just think it's it's going to be way down the line. We're not even yeah. close. Yeah. And and honestly, I think that's the attitude that most people have. And I understand why, because there have been date setters who picked a specific date or even well-meaning people who thought it would would be in a certain specific time frame. And those dates have come and gone. And and of course, there's different views, as we mentioned. So the confusion and the the lack of uh, a good track record Mm -hmm. makes people think that. But what I usually respond when people bring that same question to me is two things. Number one, we really have kind of a short attention span because when people have been saying forever that the Lord's coming, what they really mean is since the seventies, when Hal Lindsey came out with late great planet earth <laughs> and that's really not forever. I mean, yes, first century church, for sure. Christians all through the ages have been called to watch and wait and they didn't quite understand all that had to happen. A matter of fact, during the dark ages, eschatology went dark completely because the Roman church at that time kind of adopted one particular view that was totally symbolic and allegorical and nothing else was accepted. But the other key thing I mentioned is that the super sign that we are entering into the, in the end times, Israel becoming a nation again, when you study that, the details historically, how that came about and the fact that every single Old Testament prophet, except for Jonah, predicted that that would happen in the end times, that should get people's attention. So while I agree there have been false date setters and a lot of confusion, and it's been 40 or 50 years of people really beating that drum, the raw data points to the fact that Israel as a nation, again, should have our attention as believers, that we are nearing the time of the end. But Todd, I mean, the church really is the focus, so why why is that such a big deal? <laughs> that That's <laughs> another point of confusion, is that there's been a lot of replacement theology or just a lot of lack of teaching on how— Israel fits into God's plans. I unpack that in the book too, because that was an issue I wrestled with. Like, all right, well, the Jews are God's chosen people, but also the church is the bride of Christ. Like, how does that all work? And there are different views on how that 
fits in. You got reform theology, you got other stuff, but the long and short of it is when we look specifically at Bible prophecy, the Bible is clear that God has a purpose for the Jews in the end times. Um, now we all have to accept Christ personally to be saved, but when you study the Old Testament, and that's another thing that a lot of people don't do, the 70 weeks of Daniel 9 shows that there's mm -hmm. 70 weeks of history for the Jewish people. And it's very clear when you study that, that there's a last seven year set. There's a mysterious gap in there before that last seven years. And of course, now we know that's where the church fits in. But also if you study books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Isaiah in particular, there are giant chunks of prophecy that are very literal, very clear, that have never come true related to the Jewish people reigning in a kingdom with the Lord. And we, we know that as the millennial kingdom. The end of Revelation says that I think six or seven times that we'll rule and reign with him a thousand years. That'll be a thousand year kingdom set up. And some of the confusion comes in. I know there's a long answer, but there are different yeah. interpretation methods. There, there's four primary. I won't go through all four, but three of them are all allegorical but the only one, and this is the, the one that I believe is the correct way, is the literal futurist view. In other words, from cover to cover, we can take God at his word. When he says something that's literal and plain, of course, he uses poetic language at times and figures of speech and that sort of thing. But we can't allegorize what he says just because it's hard to believe. If we take God's word at face value and interpret it literally, you must come to the conclusion that God has a plan for Israel in the end times. And even Paul talks about it. And if there's any doubt and you're saying, oh, that's just Old Testament, uh, Romans 9, chapters 9 through 11 is all Paul talking about the fact that God is not done with the Jewish people. And a matter of fact, at the end of that whole section, he says, one day all Israel will be saved. In other words, all corporately, all the Jews surviving at the end of the tribulation will turn to Christ and receive him as, receive him as their savior. But again, it's it's complex, it's messy, and people can hear me saying that, and it may even make sense, but until you roll up and, and really be like an investigator, like, all right, what does God's word really say? You're not going to form your own concrete convictions about it. Off my devil's advocate uh, stump for a minute, Yeah. when I see that God will follow through on all the unfinished promises mm -hmm. to Israel— that just strengthens me to know that anything he's told us about what he'll do for us, he's going to come through on too. Amen. And that's a great point. God says a couple times in the Old Testament, in one place he says, I'm a paraphrase, but he says, when the sun and the moon stop coming up, then I will no longer keep my promises to the Jewish people. Right. Um, and the Abrahamic covenant was a one-way unconditional covenant that God mm. made. Abraham was actually asleep yeah. and God made this covenant basically saying my care, I'm banking my character on the fact that I will fulfill this prophecy and yeah. your people, you know, in the whole Abrahamic covenant. So if he can make unconditional promises to the Jewish people and not keep them, then how can we have confidence in the church age that our salvation is secure or his promises to us will be kept, you know? So true. Okay. So I'm getting back on my stump here. Yeah. You need two different voices, one for the devil's advocate and one for the... <laughs> Dodd. Yeah. Tell me why. Um, so so the next one would be, uh, okay, so you're talking about prophecy, but like you said, it, it's hard to understand. And I just rather focus on the things that most of the Bible's about, you know, God's love and his care and comfort and healings and things like that. To piggyback off of that, I understand 
why some pastors don't preach much on Bible prophecy. If they've never had an interest in it mm. or never engage with it, pastors are faced with a tough job. You know, they got marriages falling apart. They got weddings and funerals and all the pressures. You know, they got a lot of plates to spin. But I would just say what I have found is that all of those pressures, whether it's personal struggles or whatever trials life throws at you, I have found that studying Bible prophecy, number one, it gets my mind off of the things of the world and onto him in a healthy way, not, not mm -hmm. in a way where I'm not engaged, but it, it helps me not to put so much stock in what happens here and know that we have an amazing future that's on the near horizon, whether as one pastor puts it, we'll get there by rapture or by rupture, you know, we're, we'll be raptured out of here or, you know, we're going to die and go be with him. That's a relatively short time between now and then. Let's leverage everything we have to live for him. And I found that studying Bible prophecy does that for me. It helps me live with more purity, more intentionality, more urgency. It helps me share my faith more. It helps me want to tell people about the Lord more. And, and it just brings so much more richness and meaning to everything. And also, yeah, 28 to 33% of the Bible is Bible prophecy. So if we're not studying it, we're basically throwing away a third of the Bible. So that's, that's another point I make to people. Oh, that's a really good point. Very yeah. good point. And so, that 33% connects yeah. to every line of theology, every key person, every key story arc. I call it the central nervous system of scripture. So it's not just a one third fluff. It's the core. It's the backbone of the Bible prophecy. That's basically what the Bible is, is God making promises and then having those promises come true. We call that fulfilled Bible prophecy. Mm. Yeah. So it informs everything else that we talk about. So yeah. talk about understanding the prophecy, but you know, revelation, I mean, that it's got so <laughs> many symbols and it just kind of jumps all over the place. It seems like, and mm -hmm. you know, tell me more. I mean, how am I supposed to understand that? <laughs> well, number one, I believe the enemy's done a fantastic job of getting our eyes off of the capstone of scripture. I mean, who who would walk into an epic three-hour action film and then walk out before the ending? But that's essentially what we do with scripture. The enemy attacks, well, the, he attacks the entire Bible, but primarily two two books, Genesis and Revelation. If he can shake our roots, if he can take the foundation out from under us, and get us believing we evolved and we're here by accident or, or that Genesis is all allegory. Well, then why should we listen to anything else in scripture? And then on the other end, if he can make us be fuzzy about our glorious future that God has planned for us, what do we have to look forward to? So he's, of course, he's going to try to get people to think that Genesis and Revelation are allegory and too hard to understand and that kind of thing. Um, and the other thing that I think adds confusion is, People have been taught that it's it's too confusing to figure out. It's not. It's the only book in the Bible that says you will be blessed for reading this book. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, And one thing that I think does cause mass confusion about Revelation is what we talked about before with Israel and God's promises to the Jewish people. It's primarily a Jewish book. You see the church in chapters 1 through 3, then the church is not seen from chapters 4 until the end when we return with Christ. And in the 404 verses of Revelation, there's over 800 direct allusions to the Old Testament. So really, it does force you back into the Old Testament to figure out what these symbols are. So there are lots of symbols in Revelation, but all of them can be, you can figure out what the symbol is either in the direct context or when you go back and study those symbols in the Old Testament. So it's a very Jewish book. You have 
144,000 Jewish witnesses, two Jewish evangelists, two Jewish witnesses. You got lampstands, menorahs. I mean, when you look at the symbolism and all the language that was used in Revelation, that should get people's attention too. It ties right back into that 70th week of Daniel 9, which is more about the history of the Jewish people. So based upon everything that you put together, how do you see this helping somebody share their faith in the world we're in today? I think especially now with COVID-19 and lawlessness and all kinds of other crazy stuff going on in the world, just the instability, even non-believers are starting to ask questions. You know, I think honestly, a lot of the hype surrounding climate change and all that is mm-hmm. the, the unbelieving world seeing the birth pains that Jesus talked about, the, the, the natural convulsions that would happen as we near the time of the end. They see the world falling apart. They realize it. They just don't have the biblical worldview to understand that that's exactly what the Bible has said all along. Mm. So I think there's a wide open door right now for ministry to reach the unsaved in in a unique way. Of course, we can't come blazing at them with a bunch of details and and hitting them with everything we know about eschatology, but we can engage them in a conversation about, hey, yeah, the world's not secure, but standing on the rock of Jesus Christ is. Let me tell you about that. The last question before we end up, I wanted to ask you is, Based upon everything you've seen and you know and your experience and and you're working on, what would you see would be beneficial for our churches to be doing now that would be helpful tied into what you're into? First of all, I think Bible prophecy needs to be taught. Whether you start that in small group studies or discipleship groups or Sunday school or whether you preach it from the pulpit, which in that case, I think the pastors need to kind of get a grip on it themselves. If a pastor has never studied in times theology and eschatology, now's the time. I think even if you took a sabbatical or or just said, hey, the next the next eight weeks, I'm going to study about in times Bible pr- prophecy, just to form your own convictions. Because again, a lot of pastors in our day, a lot of seminaries aren't teaching it. A lot of pastors have never learned it. So they, they naturally don't know what to teach or they don't have a passion for it. I believe mm-hmm. If we encourage pastors to to study the topic, they'll gain a love for it and see that there's um, concrete things they can they can talk to people about and start the conversation. And also, I've talked to several pastors who decided to talk about Bible prophecy. Yeah, and of course, in a in a non sensational way, just you know, just to bring it up and start talking about it. And they have actually experienced church growth in terms of numbers and discipleship. Like you said, it touches all areas of theology, so they're naturally going to engage more with God's Word. And there are a lot of weird views out there. When you talk about Bible prophecy or anything like that, mm-hmm. you're going to hear from people that have some <laughs> some strange ideas, but you just have to go back to God's Word and see what squares with that and stick to God's Word. So let me do a little self-promotion for you, uh, because I think it's very important. That's why we have you on, is you have created the nonprofits guide to the end times, which is the great nonprofit guy in the front. <laughs> but maybe you can explain that because you you have material that could help people start a small group, teach it in their church. I'm holding in my hand your two DVDs on small group study mm-hmm. uh, that people can use. So maybe tell people a little bit more about that and where they can find you because we'll also put it up on the, the podcast website. Okay, awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. Part of my calling is to make these complex things simple and produce resources that can equip grassroots Christians to learn it and teach it on their own. Matter of fact, the small group study you mentioned is designed 
uh, specifically for people who just learned end times prophecy from the nonprofits guide to the end times. And then they're excited about it and want to share it with other people. It's kind of a plug and play six week, um, small group study where they can also introduce that information to other people. I have that book. I have the nonprofits guide to the book of revelation. That's a good follow up to the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually coming out in September is the nonprofits guide to spiritual warfare, which talks about the history of spiritual warfare, the nature of it, how we put on the full armor of God, and also how spiritual warfare ties directly into the end times and a lot of the things that we're seeing today. And also with uh, the Nonprofits Guide to the End Times, this summer we just came out with a, a workbook. And all of those, you can get information on my website, toddhampson.com, or you can buy the books at any of your favorite online uh, bookstores, whether it's Amazon or Christian Book or Barnes & Noble that kind of thing. But if they want to get all the information, just go to toddhampson.com. That is fabulous. And, you know, really appreciate your time and and helping us understand that Bible prophecy is so essential to our Christian life, our growth and, and reaching others. I mean, I think all that is why we're here. And uh, I'm glad you're out there making it simple and easy to understand and tying it all together for us. Oh, it's, it's, it's a privilege. I'm just thankful to be able to do it. God bless you, Todd. We'll be praying for you, and we'll uh, have all this up on the website when we uh, put the podcast up. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me on, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Okay, God bless you. You too, brother.